Welcome to the Travel Leader Podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Vandenberg. On our show, I interview and connect with leaders across travel, hospitality, and tourism. We talk leadership in our industry, what has shaped them, the successes, failures, and everything in between. On today's show, I'm speaking with Dr. Brian Williams, owner of B. Williams Enterprises. Before we start, I want to let you know about the Travel Leader community. Every month, I'll be gathering a group of travel leaders to continue the conversation about leadership. This is a group for travel leaders looking to share, reflect, and grow their leadership competencies with the support of myself as a trained coach. Learn more at www.thetravelleadercoach.com. And with that, I would like to welcome Dr. Brian Williams. Thank you for being with me today. Thank you for having me, Rachel. It's a pleasure for me to be here. So um, we were just talking, we met at the Chatham Bars Inn in Cape Cod last year. And I actually met, um, not met you, but that was the second time I actually got to see you speak. The first Mm -hmm. time you did a little preview during COVID for the New England's Inns and Resorts Association. That's right. I remember that. So I got the privilege of twice. um, And what, you know, I remember that moment so distinctly because my husband and I sat down and we were watching you speak together virtually. And we were sitting in our restaurant. And, you know, at the time we were really kind of struggling, especially in the restaurant with how to hold our our team accountable for certain things. Mm. And, um, you know, there was something you said, and I'm sure you'll get into that later, but it resonated so much about, you know, the things that you allow to happen Mm. will obviously keep happening unless you really do something about it. And it was kind of, you know, that's kind of a logical thing, but it, it struck at the chord Mm. of, you know, the what a lot of our day-to-day challenges are when we're seeking for service excellence. Um, so that really stuck with me. Um, yeah, so we'll, we'll get into a lot more about that. So to start us off, uh, could you give us a bit of an introduction of yourself and especially what is the red thread throughout your leadership career? So absolutely. So, um, well, I was born and raised in the Caribbean. So that's where the accent came from. I'm proudly uh, born and raised specifically in St. Thomas in the U.S. Virgin Islands. And so that's primarily a a tourism based uh, island. Right. And so I grew up working in hotels, luxury hotels, primarily Rich Carlton's, actually, Rich Carlton properties. Had 17 different roles from dishwasher to busboy to housekeeping to room attendant to bellman, doorman. Eventually, I was a corporate executive with the Carlton Hotel Company. I was the global corporate director of training and quality. So I oversaw uh, all the, the, the training and learning for their portfolio, opened lots of hotels and restaurants and spas. And over the last 16 and a half years, I've had my own company where I get to, my team and I get to help other companies with their culture. So service excellence, um, leadership effectiveness, organizational development, that whole thing. Um, you know, I've had large teams, I've had small teams, you know, now we have a more of an intimate team with some highly trained specialists who do what they mm-hmm. do. But the, the, to answer your question, the common thread is really, well, I'll, I'll just quote John Maxwell. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. 
that's 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 my common thread that is um what you know what i what i take from that is is that your actions and your behaviors you really have to show you know that you actually care with those and can you say something about how that developed? I mean, you've mentioned you've, you've had 17 different roles, right. you know, at the Ritz-Carlton, for example. So right. what along the way, you know, kind of developed that caring attitude that you carry? You know, honestly, I love to say I was just born that way, but that's not, that'd be lying. <laughs> I can't lie on the, on the travel leader podcast. That'll be sacrilegious. Yeah. Yeah. Really, really, you know, we really, really do what it is, Rachel is that I was very fortunate to have very caring leaders who gave me opportunities and extended grace to me when I messed up, who saw potential in me and invested in me and mentored me. So I had, I was the beneficiary. What you see here today is a, a manifestation of a lot of other people, leaders throughout my career, caring about me deeply, who wouldn't let me do less than what they felt was my best. You know what I mean? You know, yes. so oftentimes you know what you, you know, like you did something and you know full well deep down in your heart that you didn't give your best, but other people still applaud you for it. But you know deep down, like, I didn't give my best. <laughs> well, I was fortunate to have leaders who was like, dude, you know that wasn't your best. You can do mm. better than that. And they called me out. You see? Mm. So, so. Um, oftentimes as leaders, we tell our teams what to do, but really the most, the more effective way, in my opinion, is to let them be the recipient of what you want them to do for others. So in your business, you have a hotel. If you want your staff to learn the guests' preferences at the Sun and Ski Inn, the most effective way is for you to learn your staff's preferences so they can feel what it's like to have preferences, their preferences learned and acted on. It makes it much more likely that they'll do it for others. Yes. Yeah, the word that comes up is modeling, right? Like modeling the behavior you want to see. And what I really like about what you said as well is that caring, you know, caring doesn't just mean blowing steam, you know, at someone it, or like just uh, boosting their ego. Caring also means calling them out, you know, when they maybe could do better. Preach that's it. That's what I heard from you. Preach it, Rachel. <laughs> you heard it. No, that's what it is. I mean, you can tell if I care about you and you can tell if I don't care about you. You, you can tell. I don't yes. even have to say. I don't even have to say. Rachel, I care about you. For you to know I care about you. I don't even have yes. to say, Rachel, I don't care about you. For you to know I don't care about you. It will ooze out of me. It'll be very obvious very quickly. If I really care about you, I'll know what your dreams are. I'll know mm-hmm. what your goals are, which may not have anything to do with the company that we're in. But if you feel like I care about you as a person and your family and your goals and your aspirations, and if I invest in your dreams, then you will be much more likely to help me with my objectives as your leader. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I like how you're giving the examples of what caring means because, you know, that's sometimes, you know, it's a word that we hear used all, you know, over and over again. But what does that actually mean in behavior? And behavior is what actually makes 
transformation, right? It makes things happen for That's sure. Right. Perfect. So, so speaking of making things happen, uh, what is for you the impact that you want to make on the travel industry specifically? The impact? Ooh, I think it really, it really transcends the travel industry, but ultimately what I really want is um, that word hospitality. May I use hospitality as a synonym for, for, for travel? Yes, absolutely. Okay. So the root in hospitality is really to be hospitable. That means to care to, for others, as mm. caring for people who you don't know. That's really what hospitality means, to be welcoming and kind to people you don't know. That's really what it is. That's, 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 that's the essence of it all. I guess the impact I want to leave on the world, really, is that everyone is a VIP, no matter who they are. If you have the privilege of doing something for someone else, that's a VIP, right? Whether that's you're a guest or a return, repeat guest, whether that's your spouse, whether that's your child, whether that's your neighbor, right? Whether that's somebody in your community. The whole idea is that uh, what, I, what I would love, the impact or the legacy I would love to leave is that um, you remove your blind, you, you just put out a blindfold really not knowing anyone's socioeconomic status, not knowing their ethnicity, not knowing their 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 right, their age, their religious affiliation, their sexual orientation. You don't know anything about them, but you just know they're a person. They're a child of God. Therefore, I would give them my best. That's the impact I would like to leave. That's 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 yeah. really the essence of what I'm talking about. And anything I'm talking about, whether it's a leadership conference I'm doing or I'm speaking on stage or a keynote, the real, real, real essence I'm talking about is treat people with love mm. that's, that's all yeah. i'm talking about before you even said the word love that was what kind of came to my mind you know that you know and and what you're really talking about is it's not just what you do for your work it's your life purpose is about spreading love and not just showing, you know, people love, but that, you know, you said, and you actually said this earlier is actually that people feel it, you know, and that they take it and they, it really almost becomes part of them and that you, they know that you see their humanness. Um, and that in that moment, and you know, this is something, you know, I think really authentic about you. I remember the conversation we had after you spoke at the Chatham Bars Inn. And when I was speaking to you, there were hundreds of people there and there were hundreds of people that would, would have wanted to talk to you. And when we were speaking to each other, it was like I was the only person in the room. Mm. And you know, that is you authentically showing your purpose. So I just, I want to acknowledge that because that really came came across to me. Wow. Well, I received that, Rachel. I received that, Rachel, because, you know, in my mind, you were the only person in the room in that yeah. moment. Yeah. And if you're talking about travel industry, hospitality industry, that's the real, that's the, re that's the goal that every person you are taking care of, who you're serving, should feel like they're the only person in the room, even if there's a line of 30 people. Yes. <laughs> and you're interacting with that person for 10 seconds. <laughs> Excuse me. Yeah. It should feel that way. Drink some water. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Go for it. Go for it. Yeah, yes. definitely. Um, 
So I'm going to re, re, uh, just shift gears a little bit. If someone, you know, the people around you who have worked with you, how would they describe you as a leader? Ooh, they would, if there was a style or leadership style, I would, uh, they would describe me. They would probably say, I'm, I'm, I'm a very inclusive style where I involve them in the planning of work that affects them. Right. Um, cause mm -hmm. I, right. And I also, you probably would say that I, um, I respect them to do the work I have hired them to do. Mm -hmm. They'll they they probably use those kinds of words. They would probably say I'm very inspirational <laughs> and I'm very, very encouraging. Like me, words of affirmation, one of my biggest love languages. So I'm a, I, so I'm an affirmer by nature, right? They'll probably say I'm very encouraging. Um, they'll say that I'm not shy about saying what my standards are, mm -hmm. right? So if something isn't done to my liking, I, 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 mm -hmm. I tell them, I let them know, right? Mm -hmm. I think those will probably be all the, I mean, caring would come out obviously, but I, that's what I, I think those terms would come out. You know, when, when someone works with me, they usually work with me for years. Yeah. You know, I have very little yeah. turnover, you know, so. That's great. Well, you know, in that level, I mean, you, you just named off, you know, some very detailed and, um, you know, specific, uh, characteristics and that kind of self-awareness is really important as a leader. Um, you know, just going back to the first one you mentioned about involving people mm. in the work mm. and being inclusive. Mm. Um, what's important about that to you? <clears throat> yeah. Um, if Rachel, if you are on my team and I want you to, to be engaged and vested in the team, then I have to engage you. There's no way around that. If I want you to put you, if I want you to feel like you are owning your work and you are a vested, important contributor to the success of the operation, I have to involve you. And it, what happens also is that um, it lets you know that I respect you and I respect your intellect. Otherwise, I wouldn't ask your opinion. I wouldn't involve right. you in this meeting. I, would, I wouldn't get your perspective on it. But I also have to balance that with knowing full well that most adults have never worked in an environment where they've been involved, where they've been mm. empowered, where they've been delegated to. Like, that's rare, actually. I get to work in my company. I get to work with a lot of companies and a lot of industries. Like, most of my clients are not even in the travel industry. Most yeah. are in other industries, yes. right? So I get to see this. It's rare to be in a company where the, where the staff feels empowered or delegated to. That's not the norm. Yeah. So after, yeah. I, I also, but I'm very selective about who I allow to be on my team. Yeah. Right. So, so. that's important. I want to pick up on that. So yes. the, you know, including people and having them be part of the process is really one of the keys to engagement and yes. having them feel engaged in their yes. work. Yeah. So you, at the end, you mentioned you're very selective about who's on your team. So who makes the cut? Yes. I personally, I personally try to only work with people who believe in what we're trying to do. 
right? Mm, so, yeah. so, so my purpose statement, my business is we exist to serve others so they may better serve the world. That's the first thing I wrote when I started this business 17, almost 17 years ago. It's on the PowerPoint, it's on my business cards, it's everywhere. So the reason I bring that up is because um, for my business, I try to only um, hire people or even as vendors to work with people who are already like followers of what we do. They're either subscribers or they've been a client of mine or they've seen me speak. Those are the perfect ones because now they under they really get what I'm doing. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, you know, and even before I had this business, even when I was working, you know, in a hotel or a corporate office and I was trying to hire people. My thing is, like, I really wanted to have a conversation about the mission and the purpose. And you have to convince me, really as to how that aligns with you. Because to me, it should be a marriage. Right. It should be a right. marriage. It should be a, it should be a marriage between your dreams and goals and purpose and the companies. They should work together. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, that's just, you know, I think that what came up for me was it's another example of how you, you hold a standard and that standard is what really helps you work towards that purpose and the excellence and that you're really applying that standard, you know, not just in the day to day, but it's a filter, you know, that filter of excellence is something that you use when you hire people. It's the, totally. the standard that you hire. It's the standard that you use for yourself. It's the standard that you teach to other people. Um, you know, I think, holding people to standards is is really critical as a leader that's a common theme no absolutely i mean i actually I, I wrote about i wrote about this recently and i probably put out a video on it um recently as well but the question i always love to pose is are you the leader you would want to have mm -hmm. are you yeah. the leader you would want to have like or describe oh, another way i've done it in the past is they like, describe the ideal leader like, what do they say? What do they do? How do they make you feel? And after we kind of articulate what the ideal leader is in your mind, then the last question is, are you that leader? Yeah. There's like a, oh, crap. Right, right. I guess I got some work to do. <laughs> but that's good, though. That's good because then that's an yes. opportunity for improvement, right? Yes. I think um, the, best, the best leaders are definitely self-aware. Right, they're, yes. they're self-aware, or they, they're which is the process, yeah. because what you I'm sure in your case, Rachel, given your role, what you do, um, the higher up you go in this in the organization, the more difficult it can be to receive authentic, honest feedback about your leadership style from those who you're leading. Oh yeah, the higher mm -hmm. up you go, the higher up you go, and uh, because the higher up you go, people don't wanna you know, ruffle feathers or make waves or, right? So you can be surrounded, you can easily be surrounded by yes people who agree with everything you have to say, right? And the problem with that is that as a leader, particularly a senior leader, you can genuinely have blind spots and not yes. know you're offending people or not know you're being ineffective because people won't tell you. And the only way around that is to solicit insight about yourself. Yes. Absolutely. That is such an important point. Um, 
you know, it reminds me of there's that book Radical Candor, and which is a lot about giving feedback and the way to effectively do that. And and she talks about in her book, it's first you have to start with soliciting feedback. And, you know, what what do you think, though, because you're you hit the nail on the head, it's so difficult to get honest feedback and from people. And even if you ask it to an employee, you might get a very sugar coated. Oh, everything's fine. And then and then you hear somewhere down from somebody else. Yes. uh, Something totally different. Yes. How do how do you create that environment? Yeah. Everyone's giving honest and truthful feedback. Yes. Well, it starts with laying the expectation, saying from the very beginning, say, look, I'm the kind of leader. I want us to have openness and transparency. I would say that out loud. Then I would say, don't let me have spinach in my teeth. (laughs) I've said that to my team. Don't let me. If you see, if I'm with you and you see spinach in my teeth and then you don't tell me something and I go to the bathroom and the spinach in my teeth, I'll be, I'll be upset at you yes. for not right lifting me up. Mm-hmm. So make sure I'm going to tell you you have spinach in your teeth and you tell me, let me know. Yeah. And what I would do as well, if we have a, let's say there's a, a new initiative, a new standard, something that, and I want to get people's honest perspective and I get the, oh yeah, but that's good. Whatever you say, that's fine. That's fine. I'll be like, uh, no, no, it's a problem if everybody's agreeing with me because I'm not that smart. I, I say that, uh, you know, then I, then if it's, if it's always like affirmative responses, I'll say, you know what? How about this? Tell me one thing that could make this even better, whatever this yes. is. And if they say, well, I don't know, then I'll say, that's okay. But tomorrow I'm going to ask you the same question. Yes. And I'm going to keep asking. <laughs> and you better un- coming up with something. <laughs> no, I say, I'm going to keep asking un- until you give me an answer. Yeah. Yeah. See, people need to know that it's like they can't just brush it away. If you're a, if you're a leader and you're serious about receiving feedback, then you have to be persistent about it. Because again, most adults have never worked in a place where the leader's asking them for feedback. Right. This is very, well, very rare. Yeah, and I think where often people go wrong and the trap in this is that if you ask for the feedback and you don't really mean it, and you don't follow through on the feedback, then you've, you have modeled the behavior. Well, I'm going to ask you for feedback, but I'm not going to take that feedback anyways. So then the, you know, the next time you ask it, they're like, well, they don't care what I think anyways. So I'm just going to keep my mouth shut. Yeah. Or, or if you're defensive when you get the feedback or if you're retaliatory, I mean, there's all kinds of things there, right? That can be very, very ugly. So no, I think um, making creating a psychologically safe space where people are comfortable right. speaking up is paramount, and it's even more it's even more relevant, Rachel, as you as the workforce has gotten younger, because yes. they genuinely want to feel involved. I'm talking about you know, I'm saying like mid thirties and younger, especially that group, all groups, but especially that mid thirties and younger group they'll be disengaged like that if they don't feel like they can be honest and open up and give and speak right. freely. They'll rather go somewhere else to work. They'd rather not right. work, actually, because they yeah. refuse yeah. to go somewhere where they hate their job because they grew up, they, that, that younger group, they grew up in homes oftentimes where they heard their parents complaining about work every day. And they said to yeah. themselves, that's not going to be me. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So I'm going to rewind a little bit back 
to early days of Brian. Yay. Uh, when when was it that you first felt like a leader? You know what was so interesting? I remember my, I was 15 years old. That was like a first hotel job. And I was a dishwasher slash restaurant busboy. And um, within a few months of my job, a new person came into the restaurant. And the maitre d' asked me to train that person. And I was like, that's me. Because this is like a really opulent restaurant. It was like no prices on the menus kind of place. It was very, very high end. And I was, I was like, wow, you, you're trusting me with that responsibility for this new person in this place where the expectations are sky high. Like, guess a couple could easily spend five or $600 on dinner. Mm-hmm. So you're trusting this 15-year-old kid to train somebody else, right? So that's when I first right. felt that way. I first felt that way. Um, I think that really made a big impact. And every job I ever held... Without me asking to, to do it, the managers would always give me the new people to, to help and support and to train. Yeah. Yeah, that speaks to how important it is, you know, to have the, the, the mentor above you or your supervisor leader above you recognizing and seeing the leader in you and you know, taking that step to give them something, a, a tangible responsibility to carry out that leadership and how much those moments define their next step in their career. Oh my gosh. I remember, totally. I remember, right? So the last job I held at the Ritz Carlton St. Thomas was director of training and development. So I was in charge of all the training education for this luxury hotel. Then I got a promotion and I got a transfer and a promotion to move to the Ritz-Carlton in Atlanta. The corporate office was there at the time. So I was director of training and director of quality. I had two jobs, director of training and director of quality at the Ritz-Carlton in Atlanta. The corporate office was in Atlanta. I remember this distinctly. The vice president of learning and development for the entire Ritz-Carlton hotel company, her name was Theo Gilbert Jamison. And she invited me to come to the corporate office to be a part of a strategic planning meeting for the training operation for the Ritz-Carlton company for the following year. So she invited me to come up there. Now, keep in mind, I was maybe 25 years old. Wow. I was 24, 25, I was about 25 years old. So she invited me to come That's up there. That's pretty significant. Yeah. Yeah. So those, those moments, man, you felt like, ugh, you felt that sometimes in your life you feel like, a seismic developmental milestone in your life. Yes. That was one of them. Yes, absolutely. You know? And then it and then at that point it's in your the ball's in your court court. Do you then seize that opportunity? Yes, and I've dropped the ball many times. <laughs> yeah. You know, so Well, yeah, um you know, speaking of yeah, dropping dropping the balls, um, that relates to another question that I uh, ask is about your successes and failures. Yeah. What what are those successes and failures that have shaped you? Well, successes I've already listed out a couple of them, right? In terms of being trusted and so on. I think, um, man. So in my case, I was going to school full time and working full-time from 15 years old up and through until I got my doctorate. 
I was always in school full time. Right. So wow. that was, so that was a major success in terms of, um, that, but also I think, um, another major success is when I, when I left the corporate world to start this business, it was a complete leap of faith. There was no savings and there was, it was kind of abrupt. So like literally one month, like September 06, September 2006, at a corporate job. And then um, by October 2006, I wanted to make the same salary I was making on my own. And it worked. <laughs> I actually made more. But so that was a major success. Because sometimes when you're put in a situation where you, um, like you have to fly, like you jump off a cliff and you have to fly, there's no, I hope, or I'll try, or I'll see how it goes. There's none of that. It's this will work. It's no, it's not like I'll try right. to make it work. It's this, this, it's amazing what happens in your brain and to your body when you've given yourself no other choice, but to succeed. Like it was either, I remember telling myself this and my wife, this who's a saint. I said that I have two choices. This is going to succeed or this is going to succeed. Like I meant it. There was no um, two, two other ones about it. Are you still there, Rachel? Yes, I'm still here. Yeah. Okay, okay, yeah. Just a little bit, but... Ah, yeah. Uh, and in terms of failure, I mean, gosh, I can give you so many, but I don't want to bore you with all the failure, but I'll, but I'll give you one. Yes? Yes, give it to me. Okay. So I remember... Okay, I'll give you this one. So I was maybe... Uh, seven, 18 years old. Seven, yeah, about 18 years old. And I was a banquet server. I was a banquet server. <clears throat> and at a beach resort, you have, you know, people, there's banquets on the beach all the time. You literally set up the tables on the beach. I'm sure that you've seen these, right? Where they set up the banquet yeah. on the beach. Yeah. So <laughs> the director of the ba banquet director one day came to me and he said, you know what, Brian, I've been noticing how you work with such passion in your job, et cetera, et cetera. I want you to be my right hand tomorrow was setting up this big banquet on the beach with a major gala he wanted me to help him set up like the um set up you know schedule the assignments with the staff and where the table was going to be like really help him and that's a big deal so i'm excited so now in st thomas you can you know you can go out drinking and stuff from 18 i was 18 oh, wow. and yeah. the night and the nightclub stay open until 4 a.m so i decided to go out and celebrate and because the club's closed at four, I have to stay until four. Like, why would you leave any earlier, right? <laughs> Who does that, right? So I just... <laughs> so your boy, Rachel, so your boy stayed up partying hard. Like, I was partying hard <laughs> until four. And got, I was supposed to get to work at 9 a.m. Oh. I, I, I woke up at 10. Oh. <laughs> So I came into work and I gave this barrage of excuses about this happened. I'm so sorry. And he looked at me and he just turned and he just said to me, I was counting on you. And he walked away. Oh, my mm. heart fell out of my body. And I was like, oh, for sure, I'm going to get fired. For sure. It was, a, yeah. it was a major drop ball. But I didn't get written up. The following week, Another opportunity came up and he gave me another opportunity again, a very similar opportunity. Now, this time I seized it, but there's something to be said that if you see potential in somebody, don't give up on them easily. Yes. So yes. I've, had, I've, I've had multiple times when I've dropped the ball, multiple times.
And <clears throat> fortunately, other people saw leaders saw tremendous potential in me and just continue to give me opportunity. And I wouldn't be here today without them. Yeah, I mean, that that speaks to I mean, as a leader, when you are when you're nurturing your teams that, you know, you have to show them that one failure doesn't ruin everything. Right. And that you can you can get other opportunities to prove yourself and you have to believe that yourself, too, that like one failure doesn't define you. You can come back from that. Yes. And as leaders, we have to be open about sharing our own failures with our teams. Yes. Right. Yeah. We don't we don't enough leaders don't do that. We don't talk about. This time when I had this pitfall, well, th- yeah, last week I should have done this and I and I messed up. Forgive me. I'm sorry. You know, like we don't do that enough. Right. No, absolutely not. Yeah, key, key. So when when is a moment that you have underestimated yourself? Ooh, underestimated myself. Gosh. Well, there's been some of those. I remember. So my comp- one of the things we do, we do keynotes, conference, consulting, and all that. But we also have our own events. I think that you know that, right? We also do our own yes. events. Okay. Yeah. So first events we did were like in Spain and London and a few places, and they were usually one-day events. And then the first like two-day, two-day conference like, with speakers and that whole thing. The first time we did it was in Baltimore in, um, gosh, November 2016. A lot of work went into it, a lot of planning, a lot of money went into it. And the event itself, the, the guests loved the event, but we lost a whole lot of money. Like, you know, I have a small business, so a whole lot of money is mm, a big deal. That hurts. Hurt. That hurts. Oh, my yeah. gosh. I'm talking about, like, you know, 20, 30,000. Like, lost big money for me, right? Then I decided, you know what? We're going to persist. We're going to keep doing it. So I told my wife, guess what? Doing a same event again in May, in Phoenix. So we did the same event again in Phoenix in May. Great accolades, people loved it. Lost even more money. <laughs> oh, I said, "Can't give up, can't give up." So then um, we calibrated, we thought some things, understood the the value of sponsorships and. Expect yeah. all that stuff, and then we did it again that um, October in Annapolis, Maryland. Finally made money. <laughs> Finally turned a profit on it, and then we've done several events since then. And each time it's been they, they you know, they're, they're, they make money and they're a major part of our business. So the point is, um, the first two times were like would the first time would make most people not do it ever again. Yeah. And to do it yeah. twice, in six, two, two big failures, financial failures, in six months, is a catastrophic blow to someone, right? But kept persisting. Well, so, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm having a hard time hearing of moments when you underestimate yourself. I mean, I think that's what, that's what attracts, you know, you're that's what attracts me to your character is that you have such energy and 
um, a- ambition and belief in this will happen. I mean, it speaks to what you said before about there was no choice to fail and, you know, just giving it, going all in yeah. on it yeah. and believing that this can really happen um, and learning from the failures just kept you going every time. Yes. You know, honestly, let me just say this to, to build on what you just said. Um, oftentimes as leaders, we ha- as people, as overall, as people, we have to realize that the only thing preventing us from achieving the goals we set forth is, 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 is just is stopping too soon. Like, if you don't stop, like, that's literally it. Just keep going until you succeed. It's not yes. over until you succeed. It might take longer, right? You might have yes. to pause. You might have to pick yourself up. You might shed a tear. You might have to lock yourself <laughs> in right. a bedroom for a day. <laughs> but keep going, though. Yes. Like, if you don't stop, at some point, you'll be successful. So this, so I was doing my dissertation, right? And, you know, the dissertation, right? It's big research project you have to do for your doctorate. And it's a big, it's a book you have to write. It's a research book, basically. And it's a five-chapter book. And the first three chapters are called The Proposal. And you have to write this proposal, which takes a long time, to submit it to the university's academic review board. And the university's academic review board has to um, approve your proposal to continue on with the research. They have to approve it. They have to say, this study is worthy of the university's backing, and it's significant enough, and it's origin- it hasn't been original, okay. right, concept, blah, blah, blah. Mine was rejected five times. Oh. Each time it's like, it takes you months and months and months to do one. You put, it's like you put your whole heart, your whole mind, you did your vision board, you, you fasted, like you prayed about it, and it still didn't work. Five times. And I remember around the- Perseverance. And I remember about around the fourth time, <laughs> I said to myself, you know what? I'm gonna come, I'm gonna keep redoing this. I'm gonna keep submitting it until they approve it. <laughs> that's that my strategy. Is a great, that's a great example. I have never done a PhD. I cannot imagine, but that must have taught. That must have really built that perseverance a lot. That experience. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, God already had a other example. He took yeah. me through other things up until that point, but that was a big one. That was just a further um, proof that oftentimes success and goal achievement is really the result of not stopping. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that that mindset, I think, you know, when when you face failures and setbacks, you know, you you can start to like look at external factors and well that person is just lucky and that person had more money and blah 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 what you know all these other reasons and you know that mindset of perseverance really sets the great people you know the great leaders and the great the successful people apart from those people who you do they just stop they just stop 
like you said, they don't keep going. Yeah, yeah. And I'll say this one last thing, Rachel. The, um, as a leader, it's very likely that you have people on your team who has never had someone believe in them like that. They've never had anyone. Like you could very well be the first person in their entire life that's ever told them, you, you can achieve that. Like you, you can yeah. do this. Like I believe it. Then I've never had anybody say that to them ever in their life. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Right? so as a leader, it's to me, it's, it can have your leadership of someone can have generational consequences, positively or negatively. Yes, absolutely. That's a, that's such an important part. And that, that goes back to what we were talking about before, just the importance of that, that leader who's seeing things in somebody else and supporting them and caring for them. Um, that's such an important part of being a leader for sure. So, yeah. So switching gears again a little bit. Um, we, uh, I, I, I talked to, others uh, that I interview about what are some of the biggest challenges that they're having and how, what would they ask if they had a board of advisors who could help them solve that challenge? And my last guest is, was Elaine Macy. It's a uh, episode that's not aired yet. And she says and asks, how do we how do we shape the next generation of hospitality people and leaders, especially with in, in the new age after COVID and, you know, after everything that we've been through, how do we shape them? And also with the, the technology challenges and opportunities that we have and the generational differences and the polarization in our country also on political matters, you know, that that's a little bit outside of this question, but related, but, you know, so how do we shape that? And especially as much as you talk about the meaning of hospitality, how do we do that now in this next age moving forward? Mm-hmm. So the, 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 is your question about the, about the team of advisors? Because I want to make sure that I'm answering your, the, the correct question. If you, um, so, so I asked her that question that that's her challenge. And so it's as if you are the team of, you are the team of advisors and you are giving her advice on how to shape the next generation. Ah, perfect. Of, okay. I love it. My advice, my advice to her would be to, I think we kind of talked about it a little bit, would be to help each person view what they view who they're working with and taking care of as their customer, right? But view it beyond the scope of a business. Like mm. really look at it in, like in your home. Who is your guest, right? Mm -hmm. In your community. Who is your guest you know, at church? Who is your guest? Like, think about if you just viewed everyone that way, which assumes that you value people. Mm. And not everyone yeah. values people. Which is, such a, yes. such a, which is one of those things that people, not, not, people don't want to discuss. But it's the truth. Not everyone values people. Yeah. Right? So yeah. It's, a, it's, it's, it's an assumption. So I think um, it's always been the case 
But I think um, genuineness and authenticity are so, in my opinion, so much more important right now to attract and retain great people. Yeah. Right? Like fluff is just gone, right? So I think the advice would be to challenge people challenge people coming into the industry challenge people who are in the industry to view everyone around in their ecosystem in their network as guests and if you really viewed them as your most important guests what would you say to them how would you treat them right. how would you think about them it's not yeah, something you, I, it's not something you turn on when you come to work right it's not, and it's also like just per, connecting them to that caring their caring nature in them and you know not just that like you said it doesn't turn on or turn off when you come to work like how would you care for your child how would you care for a loved one and extending that as a way of being that that's the way you are as a person all the time yeah and honestly a quick aside but i believe that you really don't have to teach people to care for others I think everyone knows how to do that intuitively. I think everybody, if I said to you, your favorite actor or actress or your favorite relative is coming to your house, what would you do to make them feel comfortable? You would tell me. You would say, well, you're going to open the door for them. You're going to help them with their bag. You're going to find out what they like to eat or drink. Every, I believe, in my heart, I could be wrong, but I believe that every single human being knows how to be caring and hospitable with someone who they feel is important. Yes. If I perceive you as valuable, if I perceive you as important, I will treat you that way. Mm-hmm. The only thing here that we're talking about in terms of hospitality is assuming everyone is that person, assuming everybody's important. Yes. If we all assume everybody was important, then you wouldn't have to teach people to smile and give eye contact right. and open doors. It becomes obvious. But the reason right. is the reason you have training is because not everybody believes that. No, and Which I think me, you sometimes have to make the connection, right? Like connect people to feeling that. Yeah, yeah. And also, there's another there's something that we haven't talked about yet, which you and I know intuitively, but not everybody should be in the hospitality industry. Right. Well, that's one of the conclusions I'm drawing from, <laughs> you know, what you're talking about is that sometimes it, it can't be felt. It can't be taught. Some people, it's just like they don't, want to like i know you can send me to all the classes and listen to all the you know brian williams um keynotes <laughs> you want yeah. but i shit i don't like to serve people right. or even from a leadership perspective there are a lot of people who are in leadership roles who don't like to lead people right they never yeah. have they never will you can read all the leadership books listen to all the leadership ted talks go to all the leadership conferences but they genuinely they don't like to lead people and they can't say that out loud they have to say that in pillow talk with their significant other but they can't say it out loud kind of thing so again goes back to what you said initially self-awareness and i think life is too short to lie to yourself every day then it it affects your mental health it affects your emotional health and your physical health to be honest you have to just be honest with yourself about what's what's right for you yeah yeah, or, or one of the beautiful things about the hospitality and travel industry is that there are multiple roles. Because you don't have to be at the front desk. You don't have to be in a guest-facing role. Right. 
Yeah. No matter what you're into, you can find a job like that in this industry. If you like yeah. playing the harp, you can you can play the harp. Right. In the restaurant. Literally. If you yeah. like to fix plumbing, you can do plumbing. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, so, so I've got one more question to close with today. If you had uh, everything that you needed right now, yes. what vision? What vision would you pursue for yourself? Ooh. If I had everything I needed right now, what vision would I pursue for myself, you saying? Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. Well, it's a lot of things. I think the big vision I would love is if my family could, um, could own and operate a portfolio of VRBOs. Ooh. Around the world, yes. I'm a hotelier by trade, so owning yeah. and operating a whole portfolio of VRBOs would be amazing, and giving people a phenomenal um, guest experience. I think, from a professional standpoint, that would be it. From a personal standpoint, I think uh, what I would love to do if I had everything I needed and not thinking about money or anything would be to just really, 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 really um, evangelize the beauty and honor of serving others right and really think i really and sharing that in a big scalable way i'm talking about like if you are a teacher if you're a bus driver if you are right airplane pilot i don't care like really evangelizing what serving looks like yeah right and what that means yeah and when when you say evangelizing can you be more specific about what that means in this context? Yeah, talk broadcasting it, talking about it. Yeah. And really and really so talking about it like really spreading the word, but also if I'm just being completely honest, tying it into your faith. Tying it into mm-hmm. your deeper belief, your faith on how this is our God-given responsibility to love and care for one another. Right? Like for me, a day does not go by where I don't think about, it's a verse that I love. I read the Bible every day, right? John 15, 12, it says, um, this is what Jesus said. He said, this is my command. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. That means it's sacrificial. That means I don't have to even like you right now to, 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 to serve you. Yeah. That means that you could get on my last nerves and I'll still serve you. Yeah. That means that me serving you really doesn't have much to do with you at all. It's me being obedient to my God, right? Yeah, and commitment, devotion, loyalty. Yeah. 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 If I'm serving you the right way, you should feel it. Yeah. You should feel it. It should be distinctive and from the heart. Wow, I'm getting goosebumps. <laughs> Brian, we we've come full circle today. Love, care, perseverance, faith, uh, service, so many amazing themes. I really just want to thank you so much for joining us. And I'm sure that anyone who listens today um, will really, to this episode is really uh, going to get so much out of it. So thank you so much, Dr. Brian Williams, for joining us today. I've really loved our conversation. Until next time, I'm Rachel Vandenberg, and this is the Travel Leader Podcast.